That's very good. Oh, wow. Capturing the magic express. What's that? It's a train. It's a prison version. a little break last week but uh hope you enjoyed the bigfoot stuff i did <laughs> i'm sure you did dave so this is the enigma hour hours you gotta remember that hours since so there's two i'm olaf phillips aka captain tiki i got captain dave over here reporting for duties yeah you are that's where tonight we're going to explore another one of life's little mysteries yeah, we're going to do it in wonderfully weird Tuolumne County, damn it. Yeah, well, uh, this is a Fortean Wonderland. Isn't that how you describe it? It is. It's like Fort, Fort, it's a Fortean Disneyland, Fortean Wonderland. I guess I can't say Disneyland. I don't want to get sued. It's a Fortean Wonderland. It's an enigma. <laughs> it, it, yeah. <laughs> all hours of the day and night. Yeah, it's an enigma all hours of the day and night over here. You know what I was thinking about is I had an experience once. Just once, Dave? Well, maybe more than once. Huh. But these, it, you're the one that have taught me to start stringing these experiences together. Uh, you, you have convinced me now that I've been living one uh, life of weirdness and didn't even, I thought it was normal. Oh, yeah. No, you are, you are like the liminal man. So I had this, the reason why I ended up here is because I got this job with the Forest Service. Right. And we traveled around. 
We went to some really weird out, out of the road places. I bet you did. A uh, little. Uh, I mean, we, we've gotten little snippets of it here and there. Um, but the season was over. Uh, there was already snow on, on the ground up here, and we ended up down on the coast. I, I think I'm thinking it was Butano State Park, but I, I can, I'm not positive on that. Yeah. But the park was closed for the season. But uh, they either knew they knew that we, had, we were working for the Forest Service, so they opened up the place just for us. It was me, my girlfriend, and her daughter. And uh, we stayed, I had this van. It's like Gypsy Wagon Varda. Living the van life. And uh, where we traveled around working yeah. for the Forest Service. And uh, the guy turned on the showers for us. And oh, wow. Everything. The showers were even on. Yeah. I mean, so. Living the high life. But the gate was locked, the park was closed. Okay. So one night I'm woken up and the entire van is bathed. Oh, you told me about this. Yeah. And uh, like, what? WTF? Yeah. And I was like frozen. It's like, you know, you're awake, but it's those times when people see the shadow man, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I got you. The Slender Man's coming to get you. And uh, when I woke up the next morning, I'm I'm saying, okay, it was actually going through the. the seam of the door and I right. said I, that can't be so I got my flashlight and the rubber had worn out on my side door on the van and the light did indeed come in so the ranger came by and I asked him I said do you was there anybody that, uh, did you leave the gate unlocked was there anybody that came in here last night with a car car lights or something right and he says you seen it didn't you and I said, yeah, I seen it. Uh, what was it? <laughs> yeah. And what he explained to me was that because of the earth movement, it was like directly on a fault line or something. Uh-huh. That's these earth lights. Oh, sure. Yeah, they're uh, very rare. Uh, that you see. Well, he had seen them there. So it was like an active area for them. And I started thinking yeah. that, um, you know, we have an unusual geology of this place. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's called the mother load right. because running through the middle of the county is this huge seam right. where two plates have collided. Yeah, it's and, the, the gold seam of Right, so this California. sucker, uh, right, it's a big suture. It runs from 120 miles, right? And we're sitting directly on top of it. Right. Uh, here in Tuolumne County, that thing could be four foot wide or 49 foot deep. I mean, wow. this is a big seam. That's a huge seam. Um, and it's quartz gold. It's quartz la- uh, laden, laden gold. with gold. Yeah. And I was thinking, uh, you know, these magnetic currents. Right. Um, the ethereal and, currents. Yeah, there's this thing called tectonic stress theory. Right. And so they, this guy thinks you're uh, responsible for a lot of the UFOs. But I, I think he wouldn't go as far to say, does it change your mind? Like, you know, when those real low frequency of that fan in that laboratory, and everybody kept thinking that they were, um, uh, there was somebody in the room, or people watching them, well, you or know, there were ghosts, and it, it was just a broken fan that was 
humming at well, such a low frequency. So in, in mind control theory, there's this idea that if you broadcast um, messages to a tar- they call them targeted individuals. And if you broadcast a message to a targeted individual at the right frequency, you can actually make the message bounce around inside their head. So they hear voices. And you know, so it's it, possible. And there, there's also a there's also a thing where if you project high levels of energy, and I think you can do it with magnetic resonance, resonance that if you project high energy into specific parts of the brain, you can trigger like out of body experiences, and you can trigger like uh, abduction events, like they think they're being abducted by aliens. Uh, well, you know, I couldn't figure it out because these theories leave it both ways. Well, Either it's the uh, geomagnetic anomalies that are causing some change in your frequency of your brain so you see this stuff. Yeah. Or this one guy says, no, no, that's not the way it is. Uh, they're using these telluric currents right. uh, for the alien ships to land. <laughs> you know, yeah. so well, I, I maintain to this day that that I think that the arrows from the Sonora Aero Club rode the Tellura currents and used them as a power source. Well, you know, it, uh, with, uh, with Mariposite to start the reaction. Yeah, you know, there's a Mariposite, there's a Calavera site. Right, but, Marip- but there's no Tuolumne site. <laughs> Maybe you need to fix that. Get digging. <laughs> no, the Mariposite, I mean, the. The composition of the mariposite, there's chromium, and the chromium can react to acid, and it can produce heat without fire, which is something that Del Shaw talked about. So uh, they've managed to actually do studies on this stuff, sure. and then other people uh, go to do the study, recreate the study, and they come up with the same results. That's what's amazing about this. So... Uh, this one guy did research into haunted houses, and uh, um, it was because of unusual frequencies of electromagnetic levels. Well, that's, that's why you use a, an EMF meter. Uh, so uh, this other lady, and I, forget, I think it was in Wales, and, and she visited every single supposed haunted house. Okay. And then when she, after... Um, she did all these investigations. She realized that they either were directly on or near to a fault line. Well, what's, what's interesting about that is the scariest experience I ever had in a haunted house had to do with, with EM fields. So where I lived before here is a little town. Well, little. The town is 35,000 people compared with 4,500 here, right? But it was a little town in the Bay Area called Martinez. And there was a newspaper there called the Martinez Gazette. It's, I don't think it's published anymore. But I used to actually write a 14 It's where uh, John Muir Mansion, right? Yeah, the John Muir Mansion was down the road from, from my house. And so I, so I convinced the editor of the newspaper because I wrote there. I wrote a 14 column. And um, I convinced her to let us do a ghost hunt inside the uh, the building because it was supposedly super-duper haunted. Like, I mean, super-duper haunted. You mean the Muir House? No. Oh, well, just... the Muir House is too, but no, this is the Martinez Gazette. 
Okay. In the, the old newspaper. The old newspaper. And one of the editors was fingered as a possible uh, candidate to be the Zodiac Killer. And he was a real weird dude. And supposedly he still haunted it. And so we're on Ground Zero Radio Live. And we did a ghost hunt live. And my friend Chris, you know, uh, from Oregon, he had come down and he had actually built uh, EM generators because one of the ways you get ghosts to manifest is that you flood a space with electromagnetic energy and it gets the ghosts to appear and to talk and to move things and whatever because they use that energy, right? So he goes into the drop ceiling and he puts like three EM EM pumps, EM generators up there that he had built. He's a very handy dude. And so we're doing the show and we're, we're, you know, we've got flashlights going on and off by themselves. We've got doors opening and closing. We've got shadow people on the walls. I mean, it's really going nuts in there. And then suddenly we hear an explosion. It's like, boom. It's like, what is that? The amount of energy that was in that place between the ghosts and everything else, the amount of energy actually overloaded the EM generator, and the generator exploded and tore itself apart. Wow. Yeah, but we actually we were using a, an SB7, the box, the spirit box, and the guy, Clyde, who's the host, he asked it. He's like, is, I forget the editor's name, but is blah, blah, blah here. And, and it's like, yes. I mean, super clear. And then he goes, hey, whatever your name is, are you the Zodiac killer? And he goes, I am the Zodiac. And then it really went nuts. And like, he got overwhelmed. Like he was like psychically attacked. And he actually went off the air and went outside and was like sitting on the curb throwing up. But the EM, we pumped that place so full of EM electromagnetic energy that we had you all had kinds a reaction, of huh? massive reaction. So it you're a believer undeniable. that it like generates these things. It not gives just, them energy so they can, right. they can manifest. Because I was thinking it could go both ways. Well, what I should do is I should, one of these nights, well, I mean, you know, we've been debating I'm, taking it on the road. Yeah. You know, but I should get an EM pump, like an actual, like a REM pod or some kind of EM generator. And we should set it off down here because this place is so active without it. I can't even begin to imagine. What yeah, I know, like but we it. can't get access to the. No, we can do building. it inside of here. Yeah. Even inside of here, whatever's up there, it will come here. We know that. Well, I know when we first moved in here, we disturbed something. Well, I mean, when we turned on the SP7, I mean, we were taking song requests from ghosts, yeah. and, you know, and it was all over yes, the place. Yes, the request line is open. Yeah. But I, I figure, you know, I, I figure that if we put an EM generator in here, things will, what we should do is plan it. Like, yeah. like the chairs in here suck. Like, really plan it. And get okay, an, plan it. First, we'll get some good chairs. Yeah, we really need Then we'll invite Dan Aykroyd to bring some of his crystal skull vodka. That's right. That's essential. No, we get a... I've never tried his vodka. Well, anyway... <laughs> I don't even drink, so. uh, I do. I drink tiki <laughs> drinks. Anyway, um, we'll get an EM generator in here, and then we'll try to, you know, get some ghost hunter type of people or some psychics and really, really go for it. Maybe we can make the show... Because there's no show after this. Maybe we can just let the show go for a while. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, we could do an all-night flight. We should. We should. 
All right. Yeah, we should do an all-night flight. Why not? But no, I'm a big believer in EM EM generators. But then you had also uh, mentioned that um, it was a liminal space because it was not even off the beaten path. It's where civilization and wilderness met. Isn't that? Yes. What you're talking about? That's I, this place, yeah. And where the sidewalk is. It, in many ways. I mean, if you think about it metaphorically, right? This is really the last vestige of civilization until you hit Bridgeport on 108. This is it. Between here and Bridgeport, sure, there's Miwok and there's Sugar Pine. and But, I mean, they're little tiny towns. No, uh, we live in little isolated pockets. Right. And the entire county only has 55,000 people. That's why, if you think about it logically. But you can't grow too much more because you got Yosemite's in Tuolumne County. Stanislaus National Forest. Uh, Stanislaus National Forest, the BLM, Bureau right. of Land Management Land. No, we're kind of fixed. We got uh, two federally recognized Indian tribes land. We got iceberg. Uh, we got Two partial wilderness areas but what I'm uh, saying that are on our borders. This is the end of civilization yeah. until you hit Bridgeport. And Kinda, Bridge, yeah. Bridgeport's nothing to write home about. I don't, I'm not trying to insult anybody from Bridgeport. I'm talking about size-wise. That when you leave here, there's little pockets, but those pockets are mostly you know, vacation homes. So you pretty much leave here, and you've got nothing. Kennedy Meadows is like nothing. The dark so just for like people that, that don't know, uh, Sonora is the only incorporated city in the county. It's the county seat, and it only has 4,500 people, and it's the largest right. city in the county. <laughs> and, and, and seriously, from here to Bridgeport, and Bridgeport is probably the size the of Sonora. City. When you go d- up 108 toward Bridgeport, when you go over the pass... Has Bridgeport got about as many people as... Uh, oh, I, I think it does. Oh, listen, uh, there's this guy that keeps sending me uh, stuff, and it's pretty interesting stuff, and uh, it's uh, Eastern Sierra Times, and he writes a uh, paranormal column. Okay. For uh, He would be a good guy to... Uh, yeah. But he's kind of on the other side no, of the Sierras. that's fine. I mean, that's important because... He's on the other side from us. We're on the western side. Right. We can get a little bit of the eastern side. Yeah. But you see nothing, no civilization, no nothing until you hit the mountain warfare base on the other side. And when you hit the mountain warfare base, it's like, okay, there are people here. And then about a half an hour after that, you hit Bridgeport. But even once you hit the, the mountain warfare base, you know, it's this marine military base. There's nothing around it. Well, that's for training. Yeah, mountain warfare training. I mean, sometimes when you go over the past, like you'll see. Actually, I had a fun conversation with a guy who, who had gone to that place, and they were bringing in artillery using helicopters and stuff. Oh, it's get, it used to get insane. You see all these flying right over yeah. you, all these things in formation. Well, I'll tell you something funny happened tonight. So I'm sitting out in the garage because I did. I was doing some wood burning, right? You know, I make the little tree cookies with the bigfoots on yeah. them and stuff. Yeah, by the way, anybody who, who would like one, um, I sell them up at the at the Curious Crow up there in Twainheart. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, free free plug for the Curious Crow. And I'm I'm just about to do another batch. 
But hey, they were big at the Bigfoot Festival. Oh, people like them. People were actually walking up and trying to, trying to put them. them. Yeah, to put them on the. And we were giving <laughs> them away, and they were still trying to steal them. <laughs> but I'm sitting out there, and it was horrendous roaring. And so I go outside, and there, there's nothing. I can see something shooting across the sky. No lights, no nothing. I'm like, well, that's weird. And then I go back into the garage, more burning, burning, burning. And I hear it again. I go outside. I look up. I can see something very dark flying at high altitude. No running lights, no nothing. And then I hear more like a jet. And I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. So I go and pull up radar box. And it was a KC-135 refueling plane flying directly over us toward out toward um, the eastern side, right? Basically following 108. And he got out on the other side of the Sierras, and then he shut off his transponder. So he, he that, I think it was like Zombie 03 or something, that KC-135 out of Travis, he was refueling those guys. I don't know who those guys were, but it was fast and it was loud, and they weren't normal planes. I remember. Uh, that was tonight. I, I wish I would uh, know more about it than uh, like you do, but. I witnessed when that, whatever it was, buzzed downtown Sonora. I looking right straight at it, and so were hundreds of other people. Broad daylight. It was like, you know, like you in a little session, you're going to buzz the cows, you know? That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what he was doing to Sonora. Well, the other thing that was weird is that all, all afternoon, the Cal Fire plane kept, kept flying around. I don't yeah, know if it was had, like uh, lightning strikes or what, but... But tonight, awful right, lot of helicopters around my house. Right before I came here, not to be seem paranoid or anything. Right before you came here, that happened. That happened. Wow, dark mass that was getting refueled. Two, two. and they were not on radar. They had their transponders were turned off. <laughs> so doing some maneuvers in the middle of the dark, huh? That's when they do them. Yeah. No, I think they were test planes. Yeah. This like it's a weird place. But no, this is liminal. This is the end of civilization until you hit the eastern side. This is the end. So I guess it's a combination of all of the above, huh? Yeah, because I mean I, I'm speculating well, on sure. why and I'm thinking the whole show is speculation. Yeah. Dave. But it's you know, you go up to Pinecrest, it's like in another you know, right now is the t- quiet time when nobody's there and they're draining it. Because they're getting ready for winter, and then you get all the ski people that go up to Dodge Ridge. But even then, it's not really civilization. Like, there's there's a little mini mall there that has, like, a restaurant and, and has, like, a general store. But it's not, you know, it's like strawberry. You go through strawberry, it's like, there's a general store, and then there's a strawberry inn with a bar, which used to have some great Czech food, really good, but... You know, you've got this restaurant bar. I heard the uh, best burgers are up at Priest Station. Oh, I haven't tried that. <laughs> That's the other direction, though. Yeah, I know, but it's out in the middle of nowhere. It is. No, it is. Why you, would you, drive, you go there? You it drive used this, to be like an old road to Yosemite or it something. It still yeah. is, but it's a horrendous road. It's just like right. 15 miles of switchbacks, and then you get to Priest Station, and it's like a, a little restaurant on a cliff. It's weird. Uh, but again, it, it's been in the family for like generations. Oh, I know. 
But that's how Tor Grove won. Yeah. But it's like really, you know, at least on this route, this is the end. My friend. You want me to play it, Dave? <laughs> no, but uh, okay, here's a, you know, what was it, two weeks ago we did that clamper thing? Yes. And, oh, and, yes, you have, an, you have a clamper update, a clamper date. Well, uh, somebody responded to okay, that show. Okay, lay, lay it down. You've been, you've been harassing me with this all evening. What? Okay, lay it out. I'm not. Uh, no, I was just give, telling give you Scooby. about it. I'll tell you the Scooby? Yeah, give me the Scooby. Okay, so I just got a letter from uh, um, Apparently a, a listener. We have one. And, and uh, it was a state uh, ranger. Emeritus. Okay. Retired ranger. Even better. And uh, and that clapper story interested her. And I guess she knew the story. I mean, it's like, that's the uh, the Drake's Plate hoax uh, was, uh, for California anyway, it was like the Shroud of Turin or something. You know, I'm getting a reproduction of it. Oh, with, are with you? With the book. Yeah, the book about the hoax. Okay. And uh, so she, she writes, last year I visited special collections at UOP, it's the University of the Pacific there in Stockton, where the Clamper archives are held. Archives. Yeah. They have 13 boxes, she writes. 13, the magical number. And I only made it through a couple so far. Really great stuff in there. My experiences has been that the current local clampers only have a rudimentary handle on the history of the organization, which has been passed down to them verbally, mostly. It is even cloudier because of all the secret code words, silly subterfuge, et cetera. So I found found the Charles Lewis Camp disposition to be incredibly insightful. So somebody was trying to sue the Clampers. And this guy, Charles Lewis Camp, he was like the original dude from the 30s. All right? I mean, uh, he was right there with uh, uh, Wheat and Dane. They were the originators. of Right. And uh, Charles Lewis Camp, by the time, this is in 60-something that he uh, did this. They said, is Clampers an or can you sue the Clampers? Is it really an organization? Uh, so they had this guy come up and he's under oath and he's telling in you a the court. His, in a court and he's telling the history of the organization. And uh, he's, she says, so I, uh, the Charles Kant, uh, to be incredibly insightful, he was the second president of the organization and provide, he was an old guy by this time, and provided an institutional history that I haven't found anywhere else. So this is her take on the Clampers. Uh, my interpretation is this. The original revived ECV from the 1930s were a bunch of Ivy League, mostly cowman men, who outgrew the frats of college and started ECV as a grown-up version of a frat in San Francisco. Charles Lewis Camp, one of the originators of the Clampers, he was uh, a dean of the paleontology department at UC Berkeley. 
uh, you know, these are connected people. Yeah. Uh, eventually, they started franchising out the name, and the Yerba Buena chapter, that's the original one in San Francisco, wasn't exactly pleased with some of the habits of the country boar antics out here in the sticks. Even so, the early Mantuga chapter was comprised of the local blue bloods early on. And she names a couple names, and they are. They're like the lawyers and stuff from generations, the original settlers here. Says that, says the demographics has changed a bit lately. But she gave me, uh, um, I, I guess you have to make a reservation to go down there. She showed me where the archives were. There's a link. You have to. There's nothing online. You have to go down in there and uh, start looking through the stuff. Uh, but uh, I guess you're making a trip. Yeah, my. Well, it just always fascinated me that there's not a single museum, even the Clamper Museum, had nothing on Clamper history. Well, it's closely guarded. Uh, I mean, I think I think the only Clamper history they want you to have. Is is the kind of uh, well? I've well, seen their publications. It's like uh, uh, absurdism. Yeah, it's kind of like the absurd history, because you know when. But there's clues in that. There See is, that? but but last week when we were talking about it, the guy was talking about Velikovsky. Velikovsky, World of Collisions. You know what? I'm going to look it up, but I think it's uh, from the fifties. And this supposedly was something that was written in 1884. Yeah, but he says no he stole, the, they preface it by saying they stole and lied. And, you know. I'm looking it up. All right. That means you have to talk, Dave. Well, I don't want to read the rest of this letter because it gets kind of about some scandals in town. Uh, scandals. We don't need to go into that. So okay, here we go. Hang on. But I read the history of the organization under oath. It was uh, Charles yeah. Lewis Camp and the. Uh, okay, so we've got this. We've got this history, and they're saying that it came out in the 1850s or whatever. What? It came out of Velikovsky. Worlds in Collision is a book by Emanuel Velikovsky, published in 1950. The book postulates that. Around the 15th century, the planet Venus was ejected from Jupiter as a comet or comet-like object that passed near Earth. An actual collision is not mentioned. The object allegedly changed Earth's orbit and axis, causing innumerable uh, catastrophes that are mentioned in early mythologies and religions around the world. And that's mentioned in the preface to uh, the rituals of right. uh, Eclampus Vitus. The book has been heavily criticized as a work of pseudoscience and catastrophism, and many of its claims are completely rejected by the established scientific community as they are not supported by any available evidence. So it sounds like a very clampery kind of thing, but definitely not from the 1800s. Now, Velikovsky himself, he was born in 1895, so he wasn't even born when they said that that they used his work. It was 1884, I think. Is what right, he wasn't born was. until 1895. He died in 1979. And uh, we talked about that whole hoax. They kept trying to throw hints um, at the guy, saying it was a hoax, but it wasn't. Uh, 
Uh, they hammered him over the head, but nobody that in the know would know. Uh, so I think uh, a lot of that is filled with, it sounds like nonsense, right? but there's like some kind of hidden truths in there. So there you go. She says that uh, the current local clampers only have a rudimentary handle on the history of the organization. And it's cloudier uh, because of all the secret code words in the subterfuge. All right. So what do you want me to talk about first? Uh, well, I get choices. Well, no, I only got two things available. That's okay. We only have two so hours. So either um, <laughs> we have two hours. But we have 90 you minutes. have the uh, mysterious walls. Let's do it. Oh, you know what? I want the mysterious walls. Because I have my own hang-up and beliefs about walls. I know. Go Why don't you tell me something about your experience? Uh, these, you're, you're talking about the ones <laughs> in the East Bay, but the ones here look exactly the same. Well, that's the funny thing about it. So the, the East Bay walls are very famous. They run from San Jose to the Carquina Straits along the, the little hills there. And nobody's ever been able to explain them. So it's if you ask one of the rangers, they tell you it was built by unarm, uh, uh, Amish farmers. Okay, but the walls were there when the Spaniards came and the Native Americans, the Ohlone and the the coastal Miwok told the the Spaniards that the walls were there when they came and that they were actually built by giants. And there's no explanation of why they why they're there. Now, I went there and I saw I grew up there. I I live right by some of them. Well, I I went up to the wall. And I was on America on Earth with Scott Walter. And so as part of the show, we dug down. I dug down. And I dug down about two feet. It's about four feet, three, four feet high. That's, that's what they are. Yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, Stack- the ones that haven't been disturbed. Stacked rocks. Stacked rocks. About four feet high. I dug down at least another two or three feet, and it was still there. Wow. So the actual wall... Before the before like deposition, you know, more dirt coming on, that wall was probably about seven, six, seven feet high. Okay. So I got curious. Well, we cracked one of them open and it has this rind because it's sandstone. It has this rind. And the rind is caused as a chemical reaction by rain on the rock. And it creates this this rind. And you can tell how old the rock is by the thickness of the rind. And so I asked them, I said, well, you're a geologist. How old is this rock? How long has it been in the wall? And he said, well, I'm not that kind of geologist. I don't specialize in sandstone. I'm like, okay, well, give me a guess. He's like, I'll tell you later. So the cameras turn off, right? And Scott Walter, by the way, is a great guy. He really is a super nice guy. I've watched some of that series. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. And it is. Uns- I think I watched that one. <laughs> I bet you did. Well, anyway, he's a nice guy, you know, knows what he's doing, and it's completely unscripted. It really is. a con- They tell you it's like just have a conversation, and we really did. No BS, right? And he's like, look, I can't tell you exactly how old it is, but I'm telling you it's super, 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 like super-duper-duper old. I'm like, okay. So I, so we do the show, and I'm, I'm keeping on it because nobody really talks about the wall. It's kind of it's like... 
the Snore Arrow Club, here, nobody talks about it. There, nobody talks about the wall. So I traced the wall, and I found more walls. I found more walls in the Sutter Buttes. I found more walls up by Shasta. Basically, these walls exist in places, and they're all anomalous. Nobody can explain how old they are. They just always have been there, right? They start a little north of Fresno, and they go all the way to the Oregon border, and then they stop. But in the case of the wall in the East Bay, it runs up from San Jose to Carquina Straits. It's like 50 miles of stacked rocks. In Tilden Park, there are sections of the wall where an acorn had fallen into the wall, grown into an oak tree, and actually split the wall. And the oak tree was probably maybe eight inches in diameter. So you're not talking eight or 12 inches in diameter. So you're not talking a young tree, okay? The wall goes up to the Carquina Strait. It stops, picks up outside of Vallejo because any walls in Vallejo were destroyed. But out by Sears Point in that marsh out there goes all the way to the coast and then goes north. It goes inland to Mount Diablo, and there's actually re- remnants of a wall that rings Diablo. And if you look at these mountains... That's, like the, that's where I used to live. There you go. If you look at like Mount Diablo, the Sutter Buttes, if you look at Shasta you know, and these other Lassen, and there's rings. They're remnants of walls that ring the mountains. And if you look very carefully, you can see where it's like structures, like it was a city at the base of these mountains built by these walls. And it's some sort of, it's some sort of megalithic construction that's never been documented by anybody. Well, you know, we have uh, two stone circles here in this county. That are anomalous? I can uh, take you to them. Okay, so I talked to this lady, and I know she was raised here, and her mother was raised here, so that's a couple generations at least, huh? Sure. And I asked her, I said, what about these walls? And they call them the Chinese walls. And I said, because the Chinese built them? She goes, oh, no, 500 years ago, uh, these people came from Asia. And uh, they were explorers. That's and, the story, Zhang Hua. Oh, you even know the name of the explorer? Well, I'll get, yeah. Well, because we did it for the walls in the East Bay. The claim was, it's, I think his name is Zhang Hua. He was a eunuch, but he was a very famous Chinese explorer. And he set out with a fleet of junks. And supposedly off the coast, up and down California, you can find the rings the ringed uh, rocks, hollowed out rocks that they use for anchors and ballast. You can find them at at spots up and down the coast. And out by Chico, in the river, there's a guy that claims that in the river there, that there was a a junk that actually sank. And you can dig it up. Like, they've excavated it. The other weird thing is that down towards Southern California... There are beaches where Chinese porcelain, like crushed Chinese porcelain, like litters the beach as though it comes from a a ship that had a wreck out off the coast. Well, she was telling me, and I don't know how she knows this, but she told me a couple of things before, and and they were totally true, so I totally trust her judgment. says, in China, they have documentation. They even yeah. have specimens of things that they had collected. They have maps, specimens. Uh, yeah. yeah, that when they were exploring here. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. In All fact, right. in fact, there's a story that when saying, I think his name was Zhang Zhang Shua, but I could be wrong about that. But there's a story that he landed in, I want to say Baja, or maybe a little south of Baja. On like he went into the Sea of Cortez, and there were a couple of of Buddhist monks that decided to leave the expedition and they went out and they attempted to convert like the Aztecs to Buddhism. And supposedly the Aztecs have records of these two Chinese monks showing up and like trying to tell them about, about Buddhism. Uh, so. Okay. I, back to your story. Well, no, this is the same story. It's just, I'm trying to collect all these different theories on these walls. Did you know, and you can't see them like you used to. I remember uh, coming up 108 to this area, and the whole time you were driving, you saw those walls on either side of you, on either side of 108, and you don't as much anymore. They, a lot of them's been destroyed. Yeah, that's what happens. Um, there are a lot of remnants here still of, of the stuff, stone uh, walls. Really? Yeah, I could take you. Yes, to please. And, I have a bit uh, of an obsession with it. Okay. Well, let's see if we're... Oh, and then I mentioned the tombstone rocks. Right. This is slightly me. different because these are natural outcroppings that push up from the soil. Yeah, you said they were shale. And Yeah, shale, and they look like tombstones. And when there's an outcropping of it, it looks like a little graveyard. And I can take you to see those, too. Absolutely. A lot of those have disappeared because people wanted that shale for the yard for stepping stones. Sure. And uh, no, but this wall thing, this wall thing is interesting. So there, there are walls here, and there. I think you said there are rings. There are rings as well. That's one of the things that I noticed. I actually have a Google map where I plotted them all out. Okay, I I uh, went to visit them the other day. Make sure they were there. And there is a road going out from Knights Ferry. Uh, and I haven't taken this road yet to uh, a back road, the old stage road uh, into Oakdale. And they said it's just one continuous stone wall. And these are all anomalous. Well, okay. I don't know. Uh, I, I promised to solve the puzzle on this one. Or at least the ones that are up here. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, let's see. We're agreeing on this. No mortar is used. No mortar is used. I'll tell you what, you tell me about it, and I'll tell you about the East Bay version, and we'll see if they, right. they coincide. Okay. No, no mortar was used. And these are uncut stones. Uncut stones picked up off the ground. Right, and they're, uh, and they're real carefully placed. Very, very. So they fit They perfect. fit perfectly. You can't slide a credit card between them. And uh, they're kind of placed to slope inward on each side. I didn't think about that, but yes, that's true. Okay. So they're about two foot wide. Yeah. At the bottom, actually, but then actually narrowed they, down yeah, more narrow, than that at the top. Yeah, they're about a foot and a half from the top. Yeah. All right. Sounds like the same walls. Yeah, they're debris walls. Um, well, yeah, uh, because our area is so filled with rocks. Yeah. Whoever built these walls. Well, I was walking down the, uh, because, you know, I have a little Etsy shop and I sell, I sell uh, railroad spikes. And so I was out on the train tracks. Well, you're just Mr. Entrepreneur. <laughs> well, it's iron. It's iron magic. So if you take if you take rail spikes, 
take four, and you pound them in in the four corners because, you know, most people's property is square or rectangular. So if you pound it at the, at the corners, right, and then you say a blessing, it will actually protect your house. Do you need some railroad spikes? No, but I. Uh, it just reminds me of when I was a little kid looking through those famous monsters of Filmland magazine. Uh, do you remember that? What was this? Some kind of new age magazine that they have advertisements for psychics and stuff in the back was from the early 19, either late 50s or early 60s. Well, there. I mean, there are hundreds. Nexus is the most famous one. Though. I know, but I love those old ads. I could oh, just yeah. see that ad. When you were describing it to me, I could see like this old-timey, late-50s ad. No, I, I sell for, the railroad spikes like a kit. That's great. So, uh, anybody in need of that? Let me know. So, iron really uh, attracts the electromagnetic stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, but it also, it's, it's a very magical element. And so the railroad spikes, it's, you know, it's used in different magical disciplines like hoodoo and others. Um, um, powwowing, they do it in powwow. That's, the, that's a Pennsylvania a folk religion. It's called powwowing. They do it in there too. But yeah, you pound them into the corners and then you say a blessing. I mean, you can really say any blessing you feel comfortable with you know, whatever denomination or religious orientation you are. Or if you wanted to make, what do they call it, one of them Stubblefields Earth batteries? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, yeah, no, You could run a radio with it. Yeah, you can, <laughs> if you have a crystal. If you have a crystal. And we got plenty of them up here. You know what I need to bring you? Right. Well, actually, I think we're going to take next week off, right? Because it's Thanksgiving and all. Okay. But the week after that, um, I'll bring you an orgone generator. All right. I think you need an organ generator. I make those too. All right. Well, I remember reading, uh, I was working in the hospital at the time. This is a psych ward. And I was reading, uh, what is that, Willem Reich? Willem Reich. Reich. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and they, were, they were talking yeah. about the organ blankets. Oh, sure. And then I was talking to Dr. Wallach about it, the head psychologist. And he says, well, you know, those things work. I go, oh, yeah? And he says, yeah, if you got somebody under there with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they they do. They do. The organ generators, they do work. You know, the other thing, folk Uh, religion. On sale now, only $14.95. Three easy payments. $9.99. (laughs) We'll cover shipping. Um, There is something... I forgot what I was going to tell Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, another another thing that's really good, if you want to do magic, right? <laughs> another good thing is that if you if you have a lot of stress, you know, and there's a lot of discord in the house, take a an obsidian ball, and you put the obsidian ball in the house, and it so, soaks up all the bad juju and the bad mojo. And then once a week, you put it by the window and let it bathe in the moonlight, and it clears it all out. But it, just take an obsidian ball and put it in your house, and it'll make the kind of atmosphere better. Okay. You know, I have some really cool obsidian that I got from from uh, northern Nevada. It's a pseudo-tectite obsidian. I was trying to – they everybody kept telling me there's obsidian everywhere here. And I'm like, I don't see any. And then I realized, oh, all those black rocks in the ground that look like charcoal briquettes, that's actually obsidian. <laughs> 
this stuff, this stuff is so hard because I was going to flint nap it. This stuff is so hard that I was hitting it with a hammer and it would not break. You got to be skilled in napping. I am, I know I've napped before, oh, but I okay. use chert. But I, this, I, I, I nap every day. I bet you do. <laughs> No, I was hitting this thing with a hammer. Like, I was really going to town on it. I'm like, you're going to break, MF. You're going to break. And I'm hitting it. That's hitting what I do it. with coke. <laughs> That's what you do with cocaine? Okay, thank Coconuts. you. Coconuts. No, no you, I don't you, break up No, my... you, you don't break up your cocaine straight lines. No. Straight lines only for Dave. <laughs> He's very geometric. All right, so. Uh, so topic change. No, we're, I'm, I'm still talking about the original topic. Yeah, so so lay it on me, and I'll tell you if they coincide. Okay, well... I, straight lines and circles. They're always straight lines and circles. Right. And they're in weird places that there shouldn't be walls. Well, they're everywhere, so I don't know what you'd say uh, a weird place. The problem I have is that if they're in the middle of nowhere, that's a really good wall because it's like, well, who would put a wall here? Like the walls and the wall. I sent you a picture of one of those. Yeah, walls. you did. The wall, it looked just like it. The walls in the East Bay, they're on the top of the hills. There's nothing up there. Trees don't even grow there. The cows don't even go there. Like my son and I, we hiked up there. It was like it was like an absolute horrendous march of death. We get to the <laughs> top, right? And the cows stop. Like they're hanging around below. They don't even go to the top. But there's walls there. All right. My original supposition is the local ranchers and farmers right. uh, collected the rocks and built walls. But, but, then, uh, but then they say, well, wouldn't there be any record of that? And then I started thinking, well, if a rancher put up a fence, uh, why would that make it to the local newspaper? The question that I have is that why would they put in all that energy to build a rock wall when they could put in a fence? That's all they had available to them. How and it far, clears their fields as well. How far back are you talking? You know how you know how hard this is the thing I told the ranger. The ranger kept telling me it was built by an Amish guy. And I'm like, okay, but do you know how long and how many people, how many man years it would take human years? Human years. I got it. Would, okay, do it. <laughs> I found the receipts. And and they're right. If a farmer builds a wall, uh, it's not going to make the front page of the newspaper. No. Farmer builds wall. Well, maybe here. <laughs> Rancher builds. Sometimes we don't oh, have yeah. a lot going no, on. No, I heard on the radio when the hog got loose you know, on the road. <laughs> you know what? We, there A while back, we had a power outage, yeah. which is not all that uncommon here. We had a power outage, right? And it was because they had a chase. And this guy was all jacked up on some kind of drugs, and he's driving through these streets like like a nutbag, right? And, like, the cops are all chasing him. And it's like on, on Chit Chat Sonora, everybody knew about it. Like, they knew who the guy was who was driving. They knew the car, and they're, like, following it. Like, you can see the postings, like, oh, the, the column of police cars just passed this road. And that, so, no, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Farmer Bob built a wall today. Okay. <laughs> Big news. Well, it's a big problem because I remember reading where this guy's cow kept showing up uh, at this lady's house eating her garden. 
And she sued and won. Okay. So what started happening is in the 1860s, before then, man, it was wide open space, right? Sure. All right. Well, that's why they brand them. It's funny that California started enacting these laws that made ranchers responsible for any damages done when the livestock trespassed onto somebody else's property. And I have this one case where, uh, because I looked it up because uh, of the Rosascos. Yes. Uh, and they got sued uh, because they were bringing their cattle. You know, there was like the summer pasture and the winter pasture sure. and stuff. Yeah, you have to rotate. And uh, they had to take their uh, cows and they went traveled through somebody else's property and they sued and won too. Um, but I'm talking, okay, this is back in the 1860s. And I actually found, so I couldn't find any in Tuolumne County. And we okay. have a lot of stone walls. We have but in uh, Mariposa County, okay. I found the receipts. So in 1862, this guy named Morgan Quick, I wanted a rock wall built because uh, the... Uh, there was no, even not even any bobbed wire in California then. What was oh. the uh, uh, most readily available material? Rock. Is rocks. And it also kept the fields cleared of the, of the rocks. Okay. So uh, they kept the livestock in. Okay, wait a minute. Here we go. So he hired these workers, and they were Chinese workers and under the direction of a Chinese boss. And then Morgan, with the agreement he made with the Chinese boss, was that he agreed to feed the workers and... um, The magnanimous of them. And bought a herd of hogs at about a cent and a half a pound to provide pork. Uh, So the workers cleared fields of stones and used them to build four-foot-high barriers that marked property boundaries and formed cattle enclosures. Morgan Quick, and and this comes from the family because they've been living in Mariposa uh, for like generations, still on the same house. Right. Uh, They still have the same walls, (laughs) and uh, they had the receipts that the guy paid the people. I get it. And... uh, so he agreed to play the Chinese contractor a dollar seventy-five for each rod, and that's sixteen and a half linear feet of stone wall. Okay. And he provided pork and rice. Okay. Now the contractor sat sat under an umbrella, tracking construction progress with an abacus. Uh, paid his workers twenty-five cents per day if they completed a rod and a half. And that's 24 foot, 9 inches. And the daily wage was lost if the workers failed to meet the quota. That's rough. Yeah, that's that's rough. So the whole project, and it's four miles of stone wall. What year was this? This is in 1862. And uh, you could do California rancher livestock laws or something. Trespassing laws. So uh, the whole project, about four miles of stone walls, took almost a year to complete. 
took a year to build four miles and ends up costing the rancher $6,000. In 1862 money, that, that's a lot of... Uh, $182,774.85. Uh, yeah, so that's a lot of money. Hundred grand. That's a lot of money. So, uh, but the family still had the receipts that they that's paid the, the laborers with. <clears throat> and uh, um, the uh, two, the two uh, they call them the stone corrals. I've seen those. And uh, one is right there off of one. Yeah. You can see it going on. And the other one is... It's J-59, but what road do they call that? Um, it's right when you finish going through uh, the Red Hills and the road where Standard. Standard. I don't know. It's where the Kaimea Inn was. And they have a stone corral there. And I remember those stone fences uh, when I was a kid living in the East Bay and then in Concord. Yeah. Uh, they're all over there. You're right. Yeah. When we first started coming up here, there used to be on either side of 108, you could see like miles of them. Mm -hmm. And they're all gone. You hardly see them at all. And I went searching for remnants and found uh, in some of the strangest places. Well, they're kind of off the way places. Right. Uh, and there they are. They're still there. Uh, no, they're very anomalous. Because uh, not a lot of people are, are going to spend $183,000 and spend a yeah, year. Yeah, but if they're going to get sued by every Tom, Dick, and Harry that their livestock yeah, but goes a lot of people into. a lot of people couldn't afford to do that. Yeah, it's just the big ran rich ranchers. Right. And they're the ones that had the most to lose anyway. That's true. I think that if you got, if you went down to the county register's office or the museum, probably that have it, and get the old property lines and lay those stone walls off of, like, the property lines from the 1860s that they would match up. Maybe. But, yeah, but, I mean, I saw one where an acorn grew into a tree that was eight inches in diameter. Oh, you know, my dad uh, used to own the Kincaid mine <laughs> up here. Right. And there was this mining equipment, like these metal hoses and stuff, and they just kind of threw them off, I guess, on in the branches of this, like, little tree or something. Right. And then this tree grew up into, like, this monster tree. Yeah. And the pipes and stuff are still hanging out of them. <laughs> oh, that's them. funny. It is funny. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to take our uh, little break now. And then I'm going to tell you about uh, a new uh, cryptid. Yes. Well, it's not new. They discovered it, okay, about, I think, five... 2017. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, we'll do that when we come back. All right.
J'ai découvert une partie de moi que je ne connaissais pas. Mon unique plaisir de la vie est de dormir. Tous les autres plaisirs sont dans mes rêves.
All right. You're listening to the Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki, me, Olaf Phillips, and Captain Dave is here as well. I'm here. All right. We're broadcasting live on KADLP 103.5 FM Sonora. We're here every Thursday, 10 p.m. to midnight, spinning the awesome tunes and talking about some weird stuff. What was you do play some good music? What was that song right before Sasha Pasha? Yeah, that was a good song. It's a good song. I might steal that for my morning show. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> no, Sasha Pasha is a good one. So I, uh, you said there was a rumor that they were being built by uh, giants, and there was some receipts because they found the giant and conquered. Okay, so I heard from. Uh, Adam Go Rightly, the guy we really need to have on, who also knows quite a bit about clampers, I think. <clears throat> I heard from Adam Go Rightly that there was a story that they were actually built by redheaded giants. And uh, that there was some kind of a war. Well, that's over in Lovelock. Lovelock Caves? Well, I've been to Lovelock. I have a great photo of me in the Lovelock Cave. That's a, that is, <sighs> Lovelock is, that's a trip. You, you really drive out in the middle of nowhere. Like there is nothing there, but it's impressive. <coughs> Sorry, I still have a bit of a cough. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. That's not very radio-esque. No, it's, it's cool. Uh, everybody should go to the Lovelock Caves. Well, that was the home of the red haired giants, right? Yes, and what I was going to tell you is that we were talking about Zhang Hua and his expedition to North America and, and the giants and all that. And one, there are two interesting stories that come out of that. One is that in Concord, California, in the 1800s, they built... Let me turn that down. Okay. They built the train station. And when they were excavating the train station, they found a, a ritual grave of a giant, like seven and a half feet tall giant. I think he even had red hair. In, in his grave goods, and when you do archaeology, when you find a grave, um, the context of it is very important, but also the grave goods are very important because these are the most important things that this person possessed. That's why, you know, the Vikings would, would either... If they did bury you, if they didn't burn you, they would bury you in a longboat. And they'd put horses in there and swords and all everything that you owned that was important would be in your there. Concubines. Well, <laughs> in some cases, yes. Your your wife would commit ritual suicide and be mar- buried with you. But like the Egyptians, right? You know, they even went to the trouble of putting in like dishware so that when your ka would come back to the to your your burial site, you know the cow would need to eat, so they had dishware. So the <clears throat> the grave goods are very important. So when they dug this giant up in Concord, like seven and a half foot tall giant, um, they found grave goods from the Ohlone, from the coastal Miwok, from the um, Yurok, the Klamath. They also found artifacts that they they pinned as being Filipino. Polynesian and Chinese. So he had grave goods in there with him that were from China, which is super weird. 
like shouldn't happen. And uh, representative of all those different cultures. Right, but how did that stuff get there? The other thing that's interesting is that I've talked about it before, that when you go to the Yurok, who live in Shasta, they believed <clears throat> that there was a group of people that lived inside of Shasta called the Wage. And the Wage were giants. They were white and they were giants and they had, they had red hair and blonde hair. And they would come off the mountain and they taught the Yurok how to hunt and how to fish and how to grow <coughs> crops and how to do all this stuff. And then one day they left and they went north and they said that they, they missed their brothers and their sisters. So they went hiked north to go meet them. Right. When the, when the Spaniards came and well, not, yeah, the Spaniards and the, the fair, the white people came, they came on boats and the Yurok saw the boats and they thought, Oh, the Wage are returning. These are the children of the Wage. So they call them the Wagesh. And they believe that the, the brown of the boats were like they thought they were islands, and so they were coming coming ashore on floating islands, and the cloud and their sails were clouds, and so they had they had islands with clouds, and they were coming ashore, and they got all excited, and they go down there, and the the uh, Europeans that landed there, they proceeded to slaughter them and and turn the rivers red with the blood of the Yurok. And so that's a very important story and myth to, well, it's not a myth, it's, it's a fact, but that's a very important story in their folklore. But again, it goes back to these redheaded giants. So you've got Lovelock, you've got Shasta, you've got Concord, you've got mysterious walls all built by redheaded giants. Well, I don't know, uh, here in Tuolumne County, the uh, part of the Chanel collection, uh, that we talked about one time with uh, his buddies with Whitney. Yeah. And he was here in Tuolumne County, and all the miners would bring him stuff. Yeah, the weird stuff. And, uh, and in 1855, um, a group of miners kind of over by Jamestown. It was called uh, Blanket Hill, and they found a uh, giant skull. And he took to Dr. Schnell, but that collection was destroyed by fire. Well, the, the conquered giant was taken by the Smithsonian and lost. Did it have double row of teeth? <laughs> no. Um, or maybe a, a six finger? I've heard the story of the double row of teeth and the six fingers. Yeah. Um, they That's found, the wage. They found some supposedly down in uh, uh, Cantalina Island. Oh, yes. And, uh, and that was a, uh, there was this guy that became obsessed with digging up these uh, indigenous burials on that island. And he had a museum of this real spooky skeleton museum. But I seen the photographs of him posing with the giants. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not trick photography, but it could be foreshortens, you know, how you sure. have the the skeleton up closer to the camera and him further away. He is on sitting on the other side of the 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 dig. So that might be uh why that thing looks so giant. But what he did also find on Catatuna uh, uh, Island was um a uh 
uh, a burial where this young girl uh, was in this granite urn. That's crazy. And uh, But it had designs on the side, and to me, they look very Polynesian. You should be interested in that, uh, Captain Duke. Eh? Yeah, definitely. Um, and then one of the out-of-place artifacts that they found under Table Mountain. I, I, did I send you a photograph of that? I don't, know if I I don't think you did on that one. Um, it's, a, it's a mortar and pestle, granite, carved granite, but it had the exact same designs. Well, it has those ones on uh, Catalina Island. You know, we were talking off the air because <clears throat> we do that. And I was pointing out that, you know, these these erratic artifacts, you know, they, they're not just confined to here. And I, I was reminding you about the, the Magna Bowl in the Altiplano. So the Altiplano, some people have actually thought that it was Atlantis. I, I don't know about that. But the Altiplano, it's this huge plane at at the highest, some of the highest points in the... In high the, plane. High plane in the Andes. And it's a desert, right? And so up there, there are two places that are very important archaeologically. One is called Tiwanaku. And Tiwanaku, the gate of the sun, is actually there. And it's a solid, solid rock that was carved with, like, laser precision into this gate. And you go through the gate down into, like, a courtyard below and on the walls of the courtyard are these weird human faces and so you know like in the outer space connection and stuff lands alan landsberg you know he's got um he's got rod serling calling it tiwanaku earth base one because he was convinced that the aliens landed there well literally across the street is a place called pumapunku and pumapunku is even older than tiwanaku and both of them predate the inca which were very active in, in the Andes. They both predate uh, the Inca, but Pumapunku is even older, and it's even weirder. So if you want something to Google, Google Pumapunku. Pumapunku is really strange. But interestingly, there was a cattle rancher, because at the time, Pumapunku, they didn't really understand what it was. They just thought it was more ruins. And so they were poking around in Pumapunku, and they found this weird bowl. And it's an earthenware bowl. It's called the Magna Bowl. And it's an earthenware bowl, like clay bowl. And it's just completely covered in cuneiform. And people believe that it's legit because the, you can translate the cuneiform, that it's properly constructed cuneiform. And if you translate the cuneiform, that it actually turns out that it's a bowl that was used in a by a cult of Ishtar in the veneration of Ishtar. It was actually used during a ritual for the veneration of Ishtar. Well, that's, that's the Middle East. So how did you get a bull from, from the Middle East, from like the Sumerians and the Babylonians? Actually, I think Ishtar is the Babylonians. No, Ishtar is the Sumerians. How did you get a bull from the Sumerians to the very top of you know, the Altiplano. How did that happen? How, how did a bull go from the Middle East to the Andes Mountains? Well, it's one of life's little mysteries. No, that's one of life's big mysteries, Dave. <laughs> and to this day, you know, it's been, it's been 
figured that it's le- it's a legit bull, you know, from the from the the cult of Ishtar, but nobody can explain how it got there. Uh, fun fact uh, is because of those high plains that uh, the ancient Incas produced the first freeze-dried potatoes. And uh, they were so good at freeze-drying uh, things that they used to uh, freeze-dry their uh, ancestors yes. and bring them down to the local community meetings so they could have their say-so. Yep. And they'd stay perfectly preserved for yes. hundreds of years. Hundreds and hundreds. In fact, the ancient Incan ancestors are buried in caverns in the mountains that surround the Altiplano. And they're also, they have these like constructions on the Altiplano and you can go inside and the, the, their mummies are there. I see pictures of the ice maidens. Mm-hmm. So when they thought the world was coming to the end because the sun had to rise over that rock, Right. At the exact place. The gate of the sun, yeah. And uh, when it started not to because of natural, you know, rotation. Yeah, progression. And uh, that was it. (laughs) So they had to start sacrificing. uh, They started off with llamas, I think, but then they were taking the cream of the crop girls. Well, you know, the, the... Probably one of the most interesting but frightening things that I ever learned when I was studying that stuff in college was that there there was a report that was written by the Spaniards. So when the Spaniards showed up with the Inca, or I'm sorry, with the Aztecs, they didn't initially start like laying waste to it. When they first showed up, they were just like so in awe of this culture that they, the size and the complexity, they just were kind of soaking it in for a little bit before they, they started raiding it and enslaving people. And they reported, I think it was one of the priests because they thought it was diabolical in nature. The, the Aztecs, think the Aztecs were fighting a war with a neighboring group. And in order to ensure their victory, the priests, <clears throat> went to the top of one of the pyramids, one of the highest pyramids, and they basically lined up. This is pretty bloodthirsty. They lined up all of the cap, the captives, the prisoners that they had taken in the war. Because, I mean, you're talking like a legit war, right? There's a lot of people involved. These are not, you know, small groups. You're talking about thousands of people. And so they lined them up, <clears throat> up the side of this pyramid, and at the top, you've got the priests. And so the first person that they sacrificed was the leader because they captured one of the leaders. They sacrificed the leader, and the head priest put on the, they flayed him. And the head priest put on the skin of the, the leader. And then they started marching the prisoners up the side of the pyramid. And they, each one, they lay them on, on the, uh, the sacrificial altar to, Oh, now it escapes me. The shoot. What's well, it's like a U shape. Well, they lay the guy in there. It'll come to me. The in dais, a huh? The, the dais. Yeah, it's like a dais. Yeah, but it's they it's, got the little uh, hole in there to drain the blood. No, <laughs> no. But so they start sacrificing the prisoners to ensure victory in the war, and they sacrifice so many 
that the blood was dripping down the side of the pyramid. The side of the pyramid was literally covered in blood. Yeah, now, on the other hand, Incas made their civilization by negotiation. Yes, they did. Um, the Aztecs, I, when I was in archaeology class, we had to make an archaeological site for the other half of the class to dig up. And I was on the barrier group, so we buried an archaeological site. And what my particular contribution was a sacrificial site that the, the Aztecs used to use when they were in the middle of the fight. Wow, you took archaeology down in there, huh? No, not, I never went to Mexico. Oh. The, this one I was in junior college before I went to Davis. Right. So so I made a sacrificial site that was kind of like, it was like a pop-up sacrificial oh, site. Oh, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. And so what it's they, like making a mission when you're yeah, in third except grade. The other people, they had to excavate it. And so so what they would do is they would tie, they would tie them to a tree and they would shoot arrows into them and throw spears into them to sacrifice them kind of like on the fly. And so that's what I actually made is I made it a, a sacrificial site. All right. Still want to do the show with me, Indiana Dave? Jones. No, I was just thinking <laughs> when I was, uh, we actually, I worked on an archaeological site. Oh, me too. Uh, but it was just their mission San Jose. Uh, we were actually digging up the quarters uh, that the, um, uh, what are they, uh, the Indian um, hall there, man, where they all lived and slept. And the, the neophytes. Oh, yeah. Uh, quarters. And uh, it was melted clay, melted adobe, man. That stuff was hard to get through. Well, the one I worked on, we we excavated a, um, I think it was Ohlone. It was an Ohlone hunting site. Oh, yeah, we did the middens, too, over there by Coyote Hill. We did it on, we did it on the side of Mount Diablo. And what's interesting about that excavation was not the hunting site. The hunting site was a hunting site. We found the, their fire. You know, we found the remnants of small game that they had trapped and, and shot with arrows and ate. And, you know, we found chert cores that they were using to make projectile points, spear points, and, and small game arrows. And, uh, you know, we found the flakes and the tools and the hide scrapers and the other stuff that they had left behind. Um, pretty typical kind of hunting site, you know. Just not not that super ultra weird or interesting. What was weird about it, it it's actually, what, well, there's two things. It's funny because it was behind a golf course. So we're, at, we're out there, you know, doing an excavation, and we're listening to the golfers, like, yelling at each other and getting drunk and golfing. But what was more interesting is that there was a homeless guy who, had, who was living there, uh, and it had to have been fairly recently because he left a, all his stuff. We think we thought at the time that we scared him off and then he'd come back. And so, you know, here we are, we are archaeologists and we're looking around and uh, what, he had just piles of like notebooks. And so we're, I was curious. So I took one of the notebooks. It was outside of where he was sleeping. I, I didn't feel right about going into where, and it was neat, neat and tidy. It wasn't like, junk everywhere, anything. It was very organized. But there was a book laying at the entrance. And so I took the book and I opened it up. And it was just the entire 
like book was handwritten in old English. And so one of the other people that was there could read it because, you know, old English, it's, it's English, but it's like a different language in a lot of ways. And it was very ornately written. <laughs> the guy translated it and it was actually properly written. And there must have been 27 volumes of this stuff laying around. And it was a story that the guy had wrote, but he wrote it in old English and he did the calligraphy. So you've got these like notebooks that are like modern notebooks and they're just filled page after page after page after page, hundreds if not thousands of pages of handwritten old English. Wow. The, the guy was obviously fluent in old English. And it's like, you've got to ask yourself, who is this guy? And that's what we kept, you know, we're, we're down there. You know, the, the thing I always tell people about archaeology is, you know, you watch Indiana Jones and it's all exciting and he's running through, you know, with his Chuchupoya fertility idol and he's being chased by, by people trying to kill him and there's big rocks. And in reality, archaeology, you're like digging with a toothbrush. No, we scraped. Yeah, you scrape. Scrape and scrape and, and scrape. scrape. And, and, uh, Days yeah. to go down a foot. That's yeah, right. It's tough. It's hard work. But it's, yeah, the, it, it was just, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, just, you have to ask yourself who this, who this guy was. And funny enough, I'll tell you a funny story because, you know, we're getting late in the time here. But I'll tell you a funny story. At one point, uh, you know when Occupy was big? Uh-huh. So I went to Occupy Bohemian Grove. And so I'm out there, and, you know, it was a all-night thing, and we saw the people going in, we saw the people working there going out, you know, and it's funny, funny story I'll tell you sometime. I talked to one of the chefs, but, you know, we're out there, and it's like, Bohemian Grove is bad, Bohemian Grove is bad, whatever. And after everybody left, you know, it's in the middle of the forest up there by Sebastopol, and there's just nothing to do. I mean, it's just a road. The entrance to Bohemian Grove is like a road through the forest. You know, it's it's just outside of a little town. I mean, it's just not that impressive. So we're all kind of bored and just sitting around. <clears throat> and there were these anarchists. And they were all sitting on a on a blanket getting getting really drunk. And when I say drunk as anarchists, yeah. as anarchists do, they're getting really, really drunk. And I'm, you know, I'm not drinking. I'm just sitting there kind of, I don't know just kind of soaking in the whole, because there's a, but you know, it's an Occupy thing. There's just every kind of person you can imagine there, every kind of agenda. I was part of the conspiracy wing at the time. So we were more of the, you know, but I got tired of like just hearing about Bohemian Grove over, over and over again. It's like, we all know. So I was talking to the anarchists and there's this guy and he's this older guy and kind of put together sort of, but in an anarchist kind of way. And so I'm talking to him and he's, he's, you know, he's wasted, but not like too far gone. Like you could have a conversation with him. And he's telling me that he's, he was a, uh, what was he? he was a biochemist and he had two PhDs, one in chemistry and one in, one in biochemistry. And he worked, he had been working at one of the, uh, the biotechs. In fact, I think it was Genentech. He was working at Genentech and he lost it. And he, he was like fully would admit to you that he's like, I'm nuts. I'm, I'm really not all there. And he said that he got so deep into the biochemistry 
that it consumed him. And then he just, he just lost it. But it was a fascinating, you know, here I am, I'm talking to this, this half drunk, you know, uh, anarchist biochemist who came out of biotech. This is a very weird experience. Back to you, Dave. <laughs> we have time for one last one. Yeah, we do. <coughs> okay, Dave, so- Dave, we'll make time. No, I, I'll make it quick. So these researchers, like what? What am I right now? What I'm doing is I'm going around, and I'm actually employed by the state. Are kind of like, uh, uh, well, anyway, <laughs> I'm making recordings of water, and right. we're exploring the Tuolumne County watershed. One of life's little mysteries. And uh, we're uh, making inventories of the types and kinds of wildlife that depend or live on the water's edge. Okay, people do that. It's a noble uh, profession. I, uh, I know uh, a lady used to go out counting frogs. Right. Um, these are things that we do up here in the... <laughs> in the right. liminal space we call Tuolumne County. Right. So a group of researchers were out surveying insects. Okay. So, you know, they got to know the types and kinds sure. and the behaviors the genus, the of the uh, insects. So how are you going to watch nighttime insects? Night vision. Because uh, if you have a flashlight, it's either going to repel or attract and disrupt the normal behavior of the insects. Yeah, you'd have to use night vision. Well, what these researchers were using or what was common... Uh, is black lights. Okay, that too. So they're using black lights, and they're trying to survey the insects, nighttime insects. And all of a sudden, this uh, glowing pink thing just glides by them. Okay. And uh, what the, did you see that? Uh, man, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. And all of a sudden, here comes another one. Way up, you know, yeah. gliding across the trees, just shining, like uh, a luminous like, pink. Like, like a flying squirrel. Oh, you knew exactly what it was. Oh, no, I just guessed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Continue, Dave. I'm going to shut up. No, they did. They captured one of them, and it was a sugar glider. It was a, Did you know we had flying squirrels up here? No, I did not. Yeah, we have flying squirrels. Really? Uh, There's three different types. They all glow under uh, black lights. Yeah, so they glow pink? Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's what confounded them. It became like this cryptid species. Now they call it a cryptic, well, one of the three. So there's a southern, the northern, and this new species that they had found. Of uh, of squirrel, they think it, they luminesce like that, so they can be aware of one another. Has something to do with okay. their vision. That makes sense. Uh, maybe they. Uh, and you know what's weird about them too is the noises they make is like ultrasonic. Really? Yeah. So I'm thinking, how do they get around and don't? Like you know, they're bat? nocturnal. Yeah, like a bat. That's nuts. Although, 
uh, flying squirrels don't actually fly. No, they glide. They glide. They have this membrane that uh, goes from the tip of their hands. So there's like, they look like big parachutes right. when they're taken off. And they use their tail to manipulate the thing. But, uh, you know, they can uh, jump like, you wouldn't, have you ever seen them fly or what yeah, glide? Yeah, I've, I've seen videos of it. Man, I tell you. It's impressive. You, uh, those things. And how can they uh, manipulate like that? Yeah, I was. I got really fascinated by. It. Oh, anyway, so they grow. They they nest in this old growth, old growth um, parts of the Sierra Nevada, and they have mm -hmm. them up in Pinecrest. You can go flying squirrel uh, hunting. Wow. Um, and some people keep them for pets. <laughs> um, they can glide 150 feet or more uh, from a height of 60 feet. Wow. And uh, they can turn at right angles while gliding. How and, do they do uh, that? As a flying squirrel approaches its landing, it flips its tail up and holds its body back to slow the glide down. Oh, wow. And it just grasps the tree trunk. And because of the way they naturally see when these researchers, these things like disappeared. Did you see that? Right. Yeah, but it didn't come out the other side of the tree that it flew behind. And what, what they do is like all squirrels do. They hurry up and scurry around to the back of the tree just in case a predator had sure. seen them. And uh, yeah, they, they they say that the how, how they navigate at night is still a mystery. Yeah. But if they communicate in this ultrasonic sound, to me it seems kind of obvious. Yeah, that they uh, and if they have a type of night vision that you can uh, um, in that spectrum, you could. Uh, recognize each other at night sure. uh, because you would luminesce. And, uh, yeah, that, that was it. It was a flying squirrel. A new, a new species of flying Oh, squirrel. yes. And then, yeah, check this out. This is, okay. So they finally, this species, so it's actually called a cryptic species because that's just another word for what the heck are you doing here. Right. It's out of uh, so they, came, they found a new species. Uh, and it, it got undetected for like forever because I guess not that many people studying into flying squirrels. Or, it's also in the middle of nowhere. And uh, Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but they won't interbreed with the other two species. And uh, they're, they're a little different. They're smaller in size. And you know what the, they end up calling the damn thing? What? The Humboldt. The Humboldt. Flying squirrel. And but I they're said, here. Well, they're there too, see. They found uh, them here. Um, uh, what blows my mind is the only other place in California that has more Bigfoot sightings <laughs> is Humboldt. Humboldt. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they're an outlier. You know, what is it? What's the name of that, that fish that's the, the parasite to the, to the sharks? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I know they she's attach themselves about. to them. Yeah, and, yeah. and they, they actually eat the algae off, like the sharks. Uh -huh. Maybe it, 
That's what it is to Bigfoot. He eats the lice off of the Bigfoot. Oh, the flying squirrel? Yeah, the flying squirrels, they fly over and they grab onto Bigfoot and they eat all the grubs in Bigfoot's fur and then they take off again. Well, you could actually go up to Pinecrest and look for flying squirrels. I may just have to do do that. If you do it at night, use a black light. It sounds like you have to do it. And they're nocturnal, so nobody... uh, It's like a miner's cat. They're nocturnal, too. They have those big monster eyes, too. And they... uh, Miner's cat? Yeah, a ring-tailed cat. Oh, well, they're not actually a cat. I think they're more like a... A raccoon or something, but they live in the trees. Okay. And they have this big, long. The reason why they call them miner cats is because miners got in the habit of feeding them so they'd stick oh. around so they would eat the rats. Gotcha. And uh, but they actually live in the trees and they have these long uh, tails, way longer than a raccoon's, but striped like a raccoon. Longer snout than a raccoon, too. My, they're common up here, too. But, See, I learn something new every day. Uh, the reason why nobody sees them is because they come out at night. So do the flying squirrels. And that's just it. See, I learned a bunch of stuff tonight. All right. So you learned that there are flying squirrels luminous. Pink luminescent flying squirrels. Right. <laughs> they actually exist. Oh, they call it a crypt, not a cryptid because they have identified it. No, it's a cryptid. But it's, it's a cryptic. Species, because what the heck are you doing? You're you're one that's been living here all along. We never noticed you. And I think that was in 2017, actually. That's crazy. That, uh, it's one of life's little mysteries, Dave. Yeah, and it's it's right here. Tuolumne weirdness. Yeah. Pink, <laughs> luminescent, flying squirrels. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up. Another amazing two hours here over at the uh, Enigma Hour with Captain Tiki Miola Phillips and Captain Dave. That's right. So uh, come back again next week <laughs> to explore another one of life's little mysteries. All right. Well, like I said, we are live here uh, every Thursday, 10 p.m. to midnight. Um, I think we are going to take off next week because it's Thanksgiving. Do you want to do a replay or something? Yeah, just we'll just do a somebody, replay. Uh, has to stay up uh, late yeah. at night. I hope everybody enjoyed the. Uh, that's the first time that's ever been broadcast. Was the Bigfoot yeah the Bigfoot symposium. Symposium. We should have them on here. Oh, absolutely. I want uh, to. Okay. Yeah, we. So one one of the things we're going to be working on is getting more guests. Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's curious that uh, three of the more nationally known Bigfoot researchers uh, live here in. Uh, Tuolumne County. That's because we're a Bigfoot, the Bigfoot capital that nobody realizes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, thanks for listening in. Like I said, every Thursday, 10 p.m. to midnight. Uh, starting when we come back after Thanksgiving, we'll be available to take phone calls every episode. So if you feel like you want to call in, we'll be ready for you. And then we may go out into the field as yes. well with our uh, task cams and Try to find Bigfoot. Uh, or something. Well, I know a good spot. We'll go hang out up there and right. we'll record it and see what happens. It's a great spot for UFOs and Bigfoot screaming. So we'll give it a try. As long as it's not too cold. No, it won't be that cold. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, it's up, it's up by the gate. for It's up above Strawberry. Yeah. We'll just have to do it before there's snow. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, 
I've been a little behind on the old uh, podcast. I'll get those uploaded uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll be caught up. And keep listening to the podcast. Uh, send us some email. Olav at weirdtwellamy.com. David, weirdtwellamy.com. And, and stay tuned for still working on the website. Still working on the website. But anyway, thanks for listening in, and uh, we'll see you in, in two weeks.